Hey, hey, hey. This is John Goldman. You're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. And you're listening to us on Radio Harbor Country. That's WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan. And WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. And uh, Johnny's Secret Stash is underwritten by Kara's Cottages. One of downtown Kalamazoo's first Airbnbs, Karis Cottages are within walking distance of local shops, breweries, and some of Michigan's most beautiful walking trails. Additional information at karascottages.com. That's Karas and Cottages with a K. I'm happy to have on the show with me today Jim Bilger from Trouble Ahead. Uh, they book themselves, they call themselves uh, Chicago's premier Grateful Dead cover band. Let's check them out a little bit before I uh, get Jim on the phone here. Uh, here is their version of the Grateful Dead's Uncle John's Band.
Trouble Ahead, doing their cover of Uncle John's Band, and um, looking forward to having on the show here just a few minutes is Jim Bilger, who is uh, one of the guitar players and uh, vocalist for the band, and also kind of in charge of everything. 
The other play, the other uh, members of Trouble Ahead is uh, uh, Brett Baxter on drums and vocals, Jimmy Curzon on uh, keyboards and vocals, Tyler Matson on lead guitar and vocals, Craig Urban on bass and vocals, and then Judith Weirock on vocals. Uh, looking forward to talking with Jim. Hi, Jim. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks. So, I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. So um, I uh, played uh, for us um, your version of Uncle John's band, and I got to say, it was very tight. So uh, you play guitar, and uh, as does Jimmy, I'm sorry, as does uh, Tyler Matson, right? That's correct. Ty- Tyler plays lead, and I primarily play rhythm. Okay, sounds good. So, like on a song like Uncle John's Band, which I think is a, a Bobby song, a John Perry Barlow and Bobby song, and uh, 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 well, uh, not to correct you, but if but the uh, we'll have to get our Grateful Dead lore straight here. Um, <laughs> that actually Uncle John's Band, I'm pretty sure, is a, a Jerry Garcia and Robert Hunter. Song. Oh, okay, I stand corrected. Well, I appreciate it. Pretty sure we'll look it up after the show. Uh, okay, but uh, so th- then when there's a Bobby song, do you play lead guitar and Tyler plays, you know, kind of the Jerry backup kind of stuff, or how does no, that you go? You know, we don't. Yeah, we don't really, um, you know. I, I play rhythm, so in that sense, in a, in, a, in a dead band, I'm I'm the Bobby slot and and Tyler's the Jerry slot. But we mix it up a little bit. And he, you know, Tyler is an exceedingly, in my opinion, an exceedingly good uh, lead guitar player. He's got a jazz performance degree out of Columbia College here in Chicago, and and uh, and he's really good. And I like to play lead a little bit, but I don't play lead like he does. So I'm sort of happy to to fall back into the rhythm role, and and also in particularly in Grateful Dead music, one of the um, attractive things to me is that Bob Weir is sort of a, a unique rhythm guitar. He sure is. A guitarist in his style. And he does stuff that's a little off the beaten track. And so I, I get to focus on that stuff, which is fun. Um, in terms of like, but we're not strict to who's doing what part sort of thing. So if it's yeah. a, it doesn't like, like he's not singing Jerry songs, I'm singing Bobby songs. We all mix it up. We've actually, the way the band's constituted at the moment is we've got, uh, there's six of us, and and we're all singing these days. Uh, we had a we had a guy who was one of the founding members who was a great vocalist, and he was with us for the first few years of the band. But then he retired, moved out west, and and uh, and then we sort of took over by committee um, all of the songs, all of the singing after that. So we so we mix it up, and I I also throw in a few of the you know Jerry has a few sort of iconic little little hooks and licks and songs that I do like to play. And, and so sometimes I do that and Tyler pops back over into the rhythm part. And we keep you guessing. Right, right. You switch it around and it's not just straight up, uh, uh, you know, Jerry, you playing the, the Bobby songs and, and Tyler playing the Jerry songs. I, I get that. Yeah. And, and yep. that's a, you know, they've got it set up in a very special kind of way where, you know, they both kind of had the ability to play a little bit of lead. Although I think Bobby was, primarily um you know really playing rhythm throughout uh and sometimes he'd you know be sort of the the front person for a song but uh you know you can't get away from jerry's um, finger picking i mean his his playing was so fantastic and uh it doesn't sound like anybody else well, that's it. And I think just, you know, sort of like I was saying in our band with Tyler is even though I like to play a little lead, you know, Tyler's really good. And I, I'd rather listen to Tyler than me playing lead. And I think in the dead, it was the same thing. I mean, if you've got Jerry 
you've got Jerry and yeah. he was, he's just unique. And, and, uh, the, if you, if you listen to Weir and, and uh, to talk about it and read it and, you know, some of the history of it, his, uh, the way he sort of developed his style, you know, back, this was all back in the mid sixties when this stuff was coming together. Um, he, you know, cause I think he recognized what he had in Jerry there too. And, uh, he liked, he listened to a lot of John Coltrane music. And, oh yeah. Uh, and he listened to McCoy, he listened to McCoy Tyner playing piano and sort of creating these canvases that uh, that Jerry could could create on or the or that or Tyner was playing that Coltrane could create on. Yeah. And so we we're sort of developed that mindset behind Jerry. And so the thing with Bobby as a rhythm guitar player, you know, he plays he does it and, and this has grown even more since Jerry died and 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 Bob kept going that he he plays a lot of things that you could kind of call leads, but he doesn't play them in a, in a fashion of a lead, you know, where he's just like, you know, okay, I'm stepping out. Yeah. Here's the lead. Right. He throws little hooks in, he throws little harmonic things in. He, uh, uh Sammy Hagar is a friend of his had a kind of a funny famous quote where he said, Weir knows how to play, you know, some guys play E Weir plays E in 50 different ways, Yeah. you know? Yeah. And, 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 and that's, what's fun for me in this. And, and I'm just, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface, honestly, with doing it. But, but I'm the, the more I do it, the more I find these different ways that he plays it and different inversions and stuff. And, yeah. and that, that's what makes it fun. Well, and early on, Bobby was kind of one of the weakest of the musicians of the group. I mean, you know, Pigpen. He was just such a great blues guy, such a great singer. But you know, they, you know, they, I felt like they kind of had to limit their range with Pigpen. But then, you know, once Pigpen was gone, they started venturing out into you know more elaborate kind of uh, uh, compilations and things like that. And and then you know, Bobby started out, and he was just kind of learning as he went. I I don't think he knew how to play guitar when they even first started. And, uh, you know, he was just a young kid and they even had to ask his parents if, uh, he could come <laughs> along, you know, like there's that famous story, how Jerry went, talked to Bobby's parents and, you know, <laughs> asked permission to be able to bring him with and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it t- told him he'd make sure he did his homework. I think. Right. Things, like, <laughs> yeah. things like that. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and then, uh, you know, they were ready to kick Bobby out of the band. Like they weren't happy with his music, you know, his musical abilities and stuff. And I guess everyone just kind of forgot about it. And, and here we are, what, <laughs> 60 years later. So, uh, I guess everything worked out just fine. Yeah. That's, you know, the, uh, their, their whole evolution was really kind of like that. I mean, you know, the thing, you know, the dead has lots of passionate followers and, and you can line up 50 deadheads and you'll get sort of 50 different opinions about how, how, th- you know, what they know of the story and what they think about certain things. But the, uh, there's a fair, a fair amount of that is pretty well documented. And when, you know, when they sort of came together, I mean, this whole thing originally, they came out of the folk scene in, uh, in San Francisco sure, and sure. Palo Alto. And, yeah. and it wasn't just those guys. There was, you know, that was burgeoning, um, of a lot of different bands that were, that ended up coming out of that. Uh, Yorma Kalkinen right. was, uh, was a, was a big, uh, uh finger picker and, and folk guy and, and, you know, and then obviously in Jefferson airplane and then mm-hmm. back in hot tuna doing that stuff. And, and, uh, and so, but that, you know, and I think they were, and there was, so it, was, it came out of all that folk stuff, but then, you know, Dylan plugged in yeah. and then everybody said, okay, <laughs> we, right what's you know i mean everybody the beat and the beatles i think were were kind of a big thing 
uh, a big drive for that too of, of wanting to plug in and go electric and when they did that they all you know you're right i mean bobby you know was learning on the job Phil had never played bass before. Phil was not a bass player. But he so had a, a very, um, you know, he had like a uh, an education in music. What, what did he play before? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. He, well, I believe he was like, a, he was a I, well, I don't know if I know this exactly, but he was a key he was a keyboardist, but he was a composer. He composer. was a, he, he played he played electronic music, but he played classical yeah. music. Yeah, and, classical. Uh, and I know he played keyboards, and I'm not sure what other instrument he played. But Jerry basically stuck a bass in his hand and said, "You know, you should be our bass player." <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And kind of showed showed him a couple of rudimentary things, and 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 that's why Phil does really play play bass like most other bass players. Right. He just kind of he you know he took his his own uh, uh, understanding of music and what they were doing. And came up with this form that that worked, and and that's right. you know that, that's kind of unique about all of those guys. Well, and then there was, you know, then you know with Owsley coming up with the um, uh, the the speaker system and and all that, they uh, they you know they were pioneers in music technology. Um, they were they put a lot of effort and money into you know just really good sound. And there, I, I think um, Phil used to have each string on a different um, channel or something like that. I, you know, maybe the technology I'm talking about is not exactly right. But, you know, he had like, you know, one string coming out of one speaker system and one coming out of another. And, and that was, you know, relatively early on. I don't know if he's still doing stuff like that. But, you know, they, well, uh, they yeah, did all kinds yes. of fun things like that. Well, yeah, you're right, and they were instrumental in a lot of the uh, companies that are still going today that came out of that area, like Alembic, um, and, and and other ones that are eluding my memory at the moment. But but all of those, a lot of those things came out of um, Owsley and those guys trying to, because because you know equipment and sound for this stuff didn't really exist back then. Right, they were if all you... kind of you know they were they were you know they'd get feedback. They wouldn't you know you couldn't hear yourself on stage. Um, you know, that whole thing sort of led to the, 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 the famous, uh, uh of iteration sound. of that, of course, was the wall of sound, yeah. right? Exactly. Which was actually the first, uh, Grateful Dead show that I saw was in, uh, 1974 in Chicago at the old, uh, international amphitheater. Oh, I remember that uh, place. I, I don't, <laughs> I never saw a show out there, but, uh, well, I'll was... tell you what, you've never seen a show till you've, till you've seen one there where, with the wall of sound inside like that, <laughs> oh, man. which basically basically took up the entire width of the stage except for about Jeez. six feet on either side and then up about 40 feet that's and amazing it just, yeah it was pretty nuts yeah um, sounded pretty sounded good <laughs> probably that's pretty well sure i'm sure they dimmed the lights for a few blocks around that place when they turned it on yeah right it probably shook the building you know that that was a pretty old building back in the 70s too it wasn't the most secure spot and uh, uh, the, yes <laughs> all that all that bass being played through there and everything. Uh, so uh, that was your first show. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like it made an impression. <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it, it did. I, you know, so my deal was I was the, uh, I'm the youngest of three brothers. So then I'm, was born in the late fifties. So my, I, my, my oldest brother and then my middle brother, uh, who's also a musician, he, um, you know, they, they brought that stuff into the house. Yeah. And so I think I heard, I was listening to Working Man to Dead, came out in, in 1970, I think. And, you know, I don't know, I was probably in sixth grade or something at that point. And uh, so it, it, it did make an impression on me. Yeah, that's one, that's a great album. Uh, 
you know, it's funny though, when people talk about the albums, I'm always kind of like, well, I don't know. You know, I, I just, I kind of grew up with all those, all those tapes and, you know, trading tapes and, um, listening to versions of this one and versions of that one. Uh, but it was always kind of like the full show as opposed to, um, an album. Um, you know, I don't think they put a lot of emphasis in albums. Probably the record company put the emphasis on the albums and they were like, okay, uh, but, uh, you, you know, the real fun was at the concerts and then listening to the concerts on, on, uh, on tape afterwards. Uh, were you, yes. Were you part yeah, of that yeah, taper they, scene a little bit? Well, I, I was never, I, I myself was never a taper. I had a roommate, a good friend of mine one time who was a pretty serious taper. I think he had about a thousand or something like that. And, uh, and that wasn't even as nearly as many as some of these guys have. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, I never, <laughs> I never read the energy to, to, to stay on top of that. Oh yeah, no. Uh, I, and I, I just had my, you know, chosen few, but, um, that's what I would listen to, you know, as opposed to trying, you know, listening to the album. Although I did have the <laughs> steal your face album and that was always a, a really good one with the, your, the double uh, your, album. Your, your, your thought that about them being primarily geared towards being a live band, that definitely uh, is, is true. And they, they would tell you that. Yeah. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, and there's, you know, there's some, uh, there's a lot of, fortunately, a lot of this stuff is kind of well documented. There's a right Rhino did a series or does a series of, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it now, but it's where of, of, uh, albums, you know, the making of certain albums, there's a name for the series and it's eluding me at the moment, but the, uh, there's all kinds of albums out there, but they have one for the dead that's called from Anthem to beauty or from, uh, yeah, from Anthem to beauty. And basically covers the period from the making of Anthem of the sun to the making of American beauty, which was the bookend with America, uh, with working man's dead. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the, and this period where, where Warner brothers signed them because they're, everybody was trying to sign bands and the, and the dead held out. They didn't really care about that stuff for a right. long time because they were just playing so they weren't in a hurry to sign a contract. So by the time uh, uh, they came around for Warner Brothers signing, they were able to sign a contract that got them all kinds of stuff that other bands didn't get. One of which was some un unlimited studio time um, <laughs> that they, they ultimately ended up having to pay for with their records, but they could go in and do whatever they want. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and much to the chagrin of the, the Warner Brothers uh, guys a little bit, because that's where they learned how to do a lot of this stuff because they didn't know anything about it, but they go in, and you know what's this button? Do? Oh what's this button wow, do? yeah. You know, and uh, and there's so that if if uh, if you ever want to see that, that's a great documentary about that with all these guys talking about how those albums were made and 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 the end of that. Um, you know, they 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 sort of got in the hole about a hundred grand, which was a lot of money back then. Um, that they had to work off and make records, and so they were the first couple records that they made were sort of screwing around, trying all kinds of different things, and and they didn't get super far with it. Um, but what came out of that was, you know, we got to make a couple of records here, and they went into the studio and they got serious, and it was kind of at the period where uh, Pigpen was still with the band, but I think he was starting to fade a little bit as well. Uh -huh. Yeah, and yeah, uh, and and their song and their songwriting was starting to gel, and and that's where uh, they had all these songs stacked up out of their sort of Americana ethos that you know that they came up with, and that's where Working Man's Dead and American Beauty came out of, and they and they just went in and they made them, and uh, and also they were they were they I believe I have this correct is that at the same time they were making those in the same studios down the hall, Crosby, Stills, and Nash were making a lot of their stuff, and those guys were all friends. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and so there was a lot of cross pollination 
going on there. And, and you know, I've, I've always heard it was, you know, the, the, the dead kind of loosened up those guys musically a little bit. And those guys came down and taught the dead how to sing a little bit. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and, and, and that's why the harmonies on those two albums are probably better than anything they'd ever done before. And it's um, kind of funny and, even listening to those harmonies, harmonies now because they don't really incorporate harmonies that much these days. And, you know, they weren't no, doing a no. lot of it before. Uh, so th- this, it makes a lot of sense. I, I never really knew the, the origin of, you know, their attempt at harmonies like that. So um, that, that's interesting yeah. to know. You also made a point that, uh, um, you know, back then they weren't that interested in making records. Well, everyone back then was all about making records. And the, the touring, the, the playing in front of people was really just about trying to sell the records. And I think the the great, which is different than the economics today, as you probably know. You know, no one's yep, making money yep. off of records; they're making money off of uh, of uh, uh, shows, and they use the records. I mean, not not the dead, but you know, they use the records in order to try to get people to the shows. Um, but this is what the dead has been doing all along. They they were never about the records; they were always about the shows, and they you know even. Even with the um, kind of uh, um, you know qu- quiet group of deadheads that were their audience, um, because they would have people coming to you know basically selling out each show wherever they went, uh, because people would travel to go see them, that uh, they you know always had big numbers at their shows and and were able to uh, be successful that way. Yeah, and it, and it grew. I mean, they had they always had decent numbers, but you know the, the the size of the places that they play grew over time. Right. You know, they they when they were coming, you know, when I was a kid, and you know, the amphitheater is a fairly good sized place, but it's not you know, was it's not a big stadium. Yeah. Um, but they would be playing like the the auditorium theater and 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 places like that. But they the the one of the other things that that and I don't know how, you know I mean if you went back and asked these guys you know did you have a plan. Did this? Did you plan this out, or was this sort of like ah, I don't know? We'll right, this they, they didn't have any thing. kind of plan. And, they didn't uh, have a but leader. They, but they ended up uh, cre- developing a, essentially a marketing plan for themselves that is has. There's been books written about it. You know, the sort of the guerrilla marketing of the Grateful Dead. And because yeah. uh, they because they were one of the first, you know, I don't know that you know that, that they were the first or anything, but they were certainly one of the first bands to. Um, uh, get a mailing list together. Right, hey, the mail order you? tickets. You know, I, I remember they, they had, hey, who are you? Where are you? You know, write us, you know, send us in, you know, and this, this is in the days when you had to write it down and put a stamp on it. Right. And send, and, and send it in. And, uh, and they start, and so they, they started building this list and that's where the, the deadheads uh, came, you know, came about. And then, and then this, the, and, and also was the, the other thing that's sort of unique about them, that I always appreciated is, is that they're, you know, they're a rock and roll band, but they have more of a kind of a jazz band ethos in a sense in that they, in that they, you know, they, they, you know, it was really about the improvisation in a way. And the songs they have, I mean, they have a great songbook in my opinion. They have a a huge and great songbook that's developed over the years, but the songs were always sort of a vehicle to get to the place to improvise. Yes. And and the, uh, you know, you talked about Owsley, you know, being important with the, uh, um, 
with the, the, the sound. equipment and uh-huh. with the sound and the equipment. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure we talk about, you got to talk about this with the Grateful Dead. He was also important because he was the world's foremost LSD maker. That's right. And you know, the, he uh, was at, the, at the time in, in California when it wasn't illegal then, you that's know, right. and, and for, for a little period. Test. And there was the whole, the acid test and all that stuff. And, and that's where he got all the money to do all the sound. Yeah. Stuff. And, and he was really their patron. Um, and so this, this, this instilled in them, I think this, this sort of explore exploration, exploratory style, uh, of playing. So, but, so they developed this, this, uh, way of touring where they'd come to a, a place for two or three shows and, and you'd never hear the same song twice for the most part. Yeah. I mean, if they had, if they had a new song, you might hear it every night while they're, because they would also sort of famously rehearse on stage during the shows. You know, well, and they also they uh, on the whole tour they might not play a song more than a couple times. I mean, they really just moved it all around, and they didn't seem to come to shows with any kind of song list. They would just maybe they'd have you know, hey, well, let's start out with this one, and then they just let it unfold and see what came out next. Well, that and, was. Yeah, that, that's what they always said, and it always, even to this day, it always kind of blew me away that you that you listen to some of this stuff because they were also became because they they played so much together and they became uh, so synergistic with each other that they would they they had these great transitions, these seamless transitions from one thing into the next, and and you and you'd be like you had to have planned that, you know, it's like you yeah. had to have written that down, but they'd say no, we didn't, and it really if you look at the sets for the most part, they would just you know Jerry would do a song, Bob would do a song, Jerry would do a song, Bob would do a song. They were the primary uh, songwriters, oh, yeah, and 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 it kind of worked out like that. Um, not specific, you know, or not strictly like that. Yeah. Um, but, but that's, so that's, that's the other thing. So, so if you combine that with the, the fact that you could go, you know, it's like if you went to see Fleetwood Mac three nights in a row, you would see the same show. That's right. It would be, yeah. it would be impeccable. It would be impeccable. It mm-hmm. would be wonderful, but you'd hear basically the same show three nights in a row Yeah, and, and you know, almost note for note because they would rehearse the show. That was, you know, how, you know, a lot of bands, the way you did it. These guys were, it's like, here we got 150 songs and, and, or more. And, and, you know, and they would just run through them in rotation. I think, you know, if you travel the whole circuit with them, you'd hear, you'd start to hear things come back around again. Sure. Um, but, but, but you could go hear this block of shows and it would be like one continuous new thing. So, um, that and the way that they marketed to people, it just kept growing and kept growing. And then they would put out records and the records would sell, you know, uh, reasonably, but never, you know, it wasn't until way well, late in their career that they had their first top 10 hit, you know, it was like in the late touch 80s. of gray. I think it was. Yeah, yes, exactly. Something Touch like Grey, which in a, which in a way was a curse for them, yeah. because they were already extremely popular, and then this brought in a whole wave of, of kids, mostly of younger folks, um, who who figured, you know, who, who caught on to that, and that's when they had to start uh, uh, playing pretty much stadiums. You know, they could only yeah. play in large stadiums because that's because they had so many people that wanted to see them. Well, it got and ridiculous so was, too. There would be as many people stuck outside. Uh, as there would be inside. People would come just for the party in the parking lot. So you'd have 100,000 people inside and 100,000 people left in the parking lot afterwards. But the, Yeah, and it didn't always have good results. No, no, there were, people were dying. I mean, it was really crazy. It was like it was an opportunity for young people to just go and, and do drugs without even having any appreciation for the music. But, you, you know, when you were talking about the... Um, uh, the song selections and the set lists. And we, uh, I don't know. I, I think that they did in fact kind of 
come up with the song on the fly, you know, like they'd get a little hint of, they'd, they'd throw out a little hint in a, in a song that, that then right. might come back out. And then sometimes in between songs, there's a little bit of like that fiddling going on when they're um, just, uh, you know, kind of playing back and forth with, with different sounds and, and maybe tuning their guitar. And, and, you know, I would always go to the shows and, and, uh, you know, my, my, my uh, concert buddy, uh, Mark Block, shout out to Mark Block. We would, <laughs> you know, that we would sit there and like, okay, you know, what, what's going to be the next song? And then we'd like, you know, <laughs> yell it out and all that. And, or yep. at least like say yeah, it to each guess, other. Guess that, guess that tune, you know, yeah. come at the beginning of the set and here, here a couple that was, you know, how many notes did it take? Right. You, oh, okay. There it is. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes it was a matter of like, you know, they, like Bobby would, would strum, uh, after getting his guitar ready for, you know, the next song. So then you'd be like, oh, that sounds like that's in tune for, um, uh, you know, Uncle John's band or whatever, uh, so that that was always that that was always kind of fun. I don't think Dead and Company do that anymore. I'm pretty sure they have a set list. Maybe they'll to, deviate from it a little bit, but they seem to. I kind think of they, put no, it they do have they do have a set. Well, you see them post it. They post yeah. the set list. You can see it on Facebook, and I'm sure they they have it laid out and they, and they noodle in and out of it. Yeah, uh, and things like that. But I yeah, those, those those days of doing it completely on the fly like that, I, I think are. I think they're for over, those guys. Yeah. Right, they're a little more organized these days. And uh, Bob Weir is like a different person. I, you know, he uh, he has transformed since uh, 1995 when Jerry died. I think he's he he like has his old man persona now. And um, you know, for a while in the early 2000s, uh, when they were touring as just the Dead uh, with Warren yep. Haynes, and I think that um, Bobby really started taking on kind of like you know, he was sort of channeling Jerry. He kind of sounded like him a little bit. He, you know, grew, started grew a look, beard Started to look like him more. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's um, it's really quite a, a whole experience with, um, the, you know, their whole history and where they've been. And, uh, and um, you know, this is, the, this is Dead & Company's last season, but I don't think it's going to be Bob Ware's last, concert by any means that dude is not slowing down he's yeah i don't i don't i think you got to take all of that with a grain i mean i don't know that they'll be back as this in this incarnation but you know i was yeah. also at the the fair the well shows at, at soldier field back right. in 2015 and... which were the last shows yeah making air making air quotes here and i and as i was sitting there watching them i'm going these aren't going to be the last shows. right they're, they got too much <laughs> they got too excited there's too much going it. on they're still yeah, yeah they're, st they're still too good and you apart know, they're, from they're, the musicians, you know, it's like it was in the old day where the family, you know, was like, hey, Jerry, get back on the road. You know, this we we need to, you know, Steve Parrish, he's like, hey, we need to we need to eat. Let's get back out there. And I bet there's, you know, a, a lot of things driving um, this this pace that they're doing. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and now Bill's not playing in these last shows. Bill Kreutzman, the, the, the drummer, you know, Jay Lane has taken over for him. And yep. uh, they, they quoted it as uh, um, creative differences or whatever. But, uh, you know, everyone's so positive about it. And he's always such a positive guy that, uh, you know, you never hear anybody getting mad about anything. So uh, you just got to, you know, they, they were like, okay, well, it's not going the way we want it to. So uh, it, it, Bill's not going to play anymore uh, as Dead & Company. 
Anyway, uh, back to trouble ahead. <laughs> the the, uh, the line, this of course, we are, from we are highlighting how, how one can go off on, on <laughs> many different tangents. With yeah. These guys. Well, there's 60 years of history here. So that's uh, right. But yeah, trouble ahead. I mean, you know, that line from the Casey Jones song and uh, a great name for a band, you know. Uh, when did you guys first start playing? Well, we this this emerged uh, out of a I guess about 2017 or so. I have to go back honestly and, and look at it. But the uh, uh, the the quick sort of origins of of, of this thing uh, it's it's the accidental band really in a lot of ways that uh, I was playing. Um, I think I mentioned to you that I. Uh, um, I was not. I have not been a lifelong working musician by any means. I had uh, a brief stint of this stuff when I was in my 20s. I had a very short-lived period where I was living out in Fort Collins in Colorado playing, and I got lucky, and I fell into a thing with uh, uh, a bunch of other really good musicians out there for a few months, and that was sort of my first taste of playing in bands. Uh, and then when I, I moved back here, and then life took over, and I got I got into a business, and I got married, and I had a kid, and and I and I. So I, I, I thought I just sort of missed the boat on, on playing music, um, but I kept playing. And then fast forward to my late 50s, um, a good friend of mine and I, uh, who's the, the guy who was the uh, who was in the band and was the singer who has since departed out west, um, he and I started playing, uh, just doing some duet stuff together. A friend of ours owned a restaurant here in town, and we could go over there and play. And, and you know, I... I, I've been the, the resident deadhead for a long time, and, and over the years, I, I've learned to play a lot of things. But I mostly play dead music because I just like it. Yeah. And, and there's and it's and it's and when you're playing it by yourself, particularly, there's it's, it's just fun, and there's a lot of different styles. And so that's what I know a lot of. And uh, and he and I started doing stuff together. And he's a great singer, and he sort of taught me how to sing a little bit and worked up harmonies for things. And we took a break from that and uh, for a little while, and I had gotten the itch going again, and I really wanted to keep playing. So I had a thought about maybe we could start a Grateful Dead jam somewhere around here. I, I live in Evanston, just north of Chicago. And, uh, and, I, and I thought maybe we could start a Grateful Dead jam and get a house band together and get other people to come out and you know see what happens from that. And I knew a guy who was a, a, a friend of mine at the time, a, and, a, and a bass player, and he played uh, in a in a uh, bar up north here in Highwood, who had a, a blues night every week. And, and, uh, and I asked him if he'd be interested in doing it, and, and and would that place be interested? And he checked it out, and he said, "Yeah, let's let's do it." So he got he got a drummer and another guitar player, and I brought my friend who I sang with, and the five of us got together really just to do a one-off one night to, you know, we got seven songs together and, and went and did it. And, and other musicians came out and it was kind of a hit. It was like, well, that was fun. You want to do it again? And, uh, and we did a few months later. And then after about three or four times of those, we just kind of looked at each other and said, well, maybe we're a band. And, uh, and that sort of started it. Um, and then it evolved from there. A couple of, you know, some folks dropped out after that because they didn't really want to make a commitment into that. And, and then over time, the, the band evolved in terms of uh, different folks in different slots. Um, but it, it all sort of coalesced um, just before COVID, um, sort of late 2019, this current lineup, minus the one guy who, who uh, retired after COVID came on and, and moved out, out west, um, 
this band came together and it was like, we sort of, it was like, wow, we've got, you know, good, really good players and, and, and good folks in all the slots here. And we were just sort of getting ramped up and, uh, and, and ready to go. And then like everybody else, COVID came yeah. and, and, and shot it out from underneath us. And we just kind of hung out for a while, but we stayed together and, uh, uh we, you know, uh, as, as things slowly started to get somewhat back to normal we we kept rehearsing and then uh came back out last year and 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 the uh uh we don't play a lot but we are fortunate that we're pretty good and so we've been able to get into some nice venues and that's kind of how our mo has been is just that you know sort of quality over quantity yeah a little bit and uh, and it's just really worked out for us. And and uh, this year particularly, it uh, we're we're getting into all kinds of places that we enjoy playing, and very much looking forward to playing at the Acorn uh, August fourth. Right, put a right. Plug in, put a plug put a plug in there. Yeah. Um. Uh, very much looking forward to the Acorn. I've heard a lot about it, and uh, we have a friend, actually one of our former band members, um, lives part time up in Three Oaks, and she's the one who told us about the Acorn and suggested we check you guys out. Is that Melanie um, Bud? That's Melanie Bud. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. She, uh, yeah. I'm, I met her at the Acorn, and she mentioned something to me about you guys, and uh, that's that's how you and I got the, the, connected. Exactly. She gave me. She she gets yeah. a big assist. Yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. Uh, I'm put I'm putting the show together, um, and hopefully she'll be there. Have uh, Have you uh, been to the Acorn? I have not been to the Acorn. Oh, okay. Yet, no, I've, I've been to the area a lot. I've I've gone all my life. I've uh, know people who've lived up in Union Pier and and uh, harvard and that area and i've spent a lot of time up there but i haven't spent a lot of time in three oaks oh um, yeah so i'm very much looking forward to coming up and, and checking it out well and i, uh, I I'd, I'd like to come this thursday and hear martin Barr, but i'm not going to be able to get up there oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's a that's gonna be a great show too that's gonna be a great show uh so on uh, August 4th is days, be- you know, one of the days between, you know, uh, August yep. 1st being when Jerry was born and August 9th being when he died. And, and you know, there's kind of like a big week-long celebration of his life and death, um, you know, during that week and two days. And there's always, you know, a movie going or, you know, uh, dead cover bands playing or things like that. So it's going to be a great time for you guys to be there. That's, that's really going to be great be a lot of fun yeah well, we're very much looking forward to it so um you know when we were talking before about the set list and stuff i i did kind of wonder you know how do you guys do it do you get up there with maybe the first or second song and and then just kind of take it from there or do you go in with a little bit more of a plan of attack we sort of have you know i don't, I don't want to pull the curtain too far back and, <laughs> okay uh, no problem. but but at this but at the same time i don't think it's uh letting too much out of the bag but we 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 know what we're going to do uh before we get going because you know we're not those guys and we don't you know we, we, we don't get to play 11 hours a day in a church that we rented seven days a week yeah. and become this you know and 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 gel like that so we want to rehearse and we want to we want to rehearse and, and and you know you don't over rehearse this stuff uh one of the really uh, for my money anyway one of the there's many reasons that it's a lot of fun to play in a Grateful Dead band, but there's also a lot of good practical reasons. And one of them is you get to play all different styles of music because right. they played all different styles of music. Yeah. Um, and, and then we sort of, and also we mixed it up that we, we do obviously the, the, uh, the Grateful Dead catalog itself, but then there's a Jerry Garcia band. Oh, right. Right. And, and, and Jerry Some in his band, stuff. 
Well, yeah, and in his band, he played mostly covers. That's you know, right. Play, Those were all he covers. He would play some of his stuff, but he played a lot of Dylan. He played a lot. He played some right. reggae. He played Bruce Coburn. He played all kinds of stuff. He played the band. Yeah. Um, and so so we we dip into all of that stuff. We, uh, uh, we're we very fortunate that our uh, one of our uh, main singers, uh, we have a, a woman named Judith Weirach, who's well-known around Chicago here, and she is a powerhouse. She, and she also yeah, fronts her own voice. Janice. She, she, yeah, she she uh, uh, fronts her own J- uh, Janis Joplin band, uh, and so we bring a little Janis Joplin, and we, we we can't have Pigpen in the band, but we have Janis Joplin. Yeah, yeah, which is which is pretty good. Um, so so we have all the stuff to choose from, and and uh, but we so we sort of plan it out, you know, we 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 uh, and, and yeah. put sets together that we think are going to be nice. And then, uh, but we mix it up. We don't, we try, you know, we usually don't play the same thing for a couple, for at least a few shows. Um, and, and we, 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 we reorder things and we try to continually evolve. I mean, this whole thing, you know, cause we're getting better as we go, you know I mean? It's like, I, I think we're pretty good now. And, uh, and, but the more we play, the better it gets and the more our, our, um, improvisational stuff and, and we're getting a lot more, um, seat of the pants a little bit sometimes which is what the dead did that's what it's um, all about know, really for, yeah we're the way listening I look to each it. other and and responding to each other yeah and things like that and we've also been very fortunate that we've been received extremely well by the audience it's like people seem to really love this stuff and they seem to like us and and when when we do that and we try and bring that sort of honesty to the playing uh we get a, a good response to it you know, you mentioned before that uh, the Grateful Dead, the songs that they've created are really great platforms for jumping off and doing the improvisational stuff. And I absolutely agree with you on that. I, I find, though, that a lot of their songs are, are rather um, complicated. You know, they, uh, they're working in some, you know, pretty intense stuff. I mean, the other one was, is, so Whipping Post, the Allman Brothers song, I think it's like an 11-8 um, beat Am I right about yep. that? And uh, you know, I, I don't know about that with Whipping Post, but I'll take your word for it. Okay, and, and I'll there's check, some I'll like check when we get off the call. There's like some kind of crazy beat um, associated with it, and right around that same time that they came out with Whipping Post, Dead came out with uh, the other one, which also has a similar time um, uh, sequence. You know, and yes. so uh, that's just an indication to me of like the complicated aspects that go into these songs that you just you know as you're you know singing along or whatever you don't really think about it that much but the, you know the lyrics are very especially robert hunter i mean some of those lyrics are just way you know all over the place yeah. and, and don't even yep. mean anything as you're like if you're reading it it doesn't even sometimes they don't even mean anything right next to each each other but you know you get these impressions from the song based on these words i mean i'm thinking of like Yes. Uh, like Black Peter, you know, that song, I don't know what that song is about, but I, I know <laughs> I, I can picture a guy like dying in his bed in a, in a hospital, you know, whatever. But what I was getting, <laughs> I've gone off on a little tangent, but uh, what I was, um, the improvisation that comes from it is really the magical stuff. And obviously you guys know that and, and strive for that. Uh, well, we love doing that. That's yeah, the, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, fun, the fun. That's what, I mean, we're in this for the fun of it, you know, yeah. frankly. And, and we do, uh, actually very much enjoy, uh, challenging ourselves, uh, doing the, you know, I used to go to an open mic and, and, uh, and play some of the stuff and there was a, a deadhead 
fan in the crowd. He he labeled this the degree of difficulty songs. He'd always give me a good <laughs> give me a good nod coming off the stage, going, "Yeah, man, that was that was a good degree of difficulty." Yeah, that degree of difficulty, and uh, and those are fun to play. And and I'm you know I, I'm extremely fortunate that the uh, my bandmates these guys are all really accomplished and they can all pull this stuff off and I I'm dragging myself along behind them but I'm pulling it off too and uh, and we so we like doing a lot of that stuff and they they, they have a lot of songs like that that are in different time signatures and we've got a really good drummer uh, fortunately Brett Baxter is our drummer and um, and he's well known around town here and and he can pull all that stuff off and keep us anchored so we can do things that are in eleven. Or in seven, yeah, um, you know, and uh, and I'm I'm sort of old. I, I I can't I don't quite count the normal way myself. I just that's the other thing about the the uh, uh, dead tunes. And if you've listened to them for a long time, they kind of get into your DNA a little bit. So yeah. I, I know that. So I kind of know intuitively where things are going. If I have to start counting, I'm in trouble. Uh, oh yeah, myself. right, right. Some of these guys these guys are really are are very good at that. So where else are you guys playing uh, as the season unfolds here? Well, let's see. We just uh, there, we have a club here in Evanston, uh, Space Space. Oh, uh, that's, that we just I love that played place. at last last uh, uh, Friday. Uh, we we played there. Uh, it was the third time we played there, and really enjoyed that. That must have been um, a blast. We that was a blast. That's a great room to play. Yeah, it um, is. Yeah, we've got a uh, we've got a street fest here in uh, Rogers Park that we're playing in July, and then a few nights after that, we're playing at the City Winery. Chicago. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Downtown Chicago. It'll be our first time there. Uh, that'll be on Tuesday, the 18th of July. And then, uh, then up to see you guys on August 4th. And, uh, and then kind of ironically, cause I always thought we got the air current. Well, we'll stick around in three Oaks for the, for the weekend, but we've got to turn around and come back the following day in the afternoon. There's a, a jam band festival here in Chicago called dancing in the streets. Uh, oh, that's perfectly afternoon. suited for your music, dancing <laughs> in the streets. <laughs> exactly, and uh, so we've got an afternoon slot there. So those are that, that's what's currently on the books. Oh man, so you know it's there, there's no pattern to it. You you, you know you've got like a blank uh, weekends, and then you've got like two things in one weekend, and uh, yeah. 150 yeah, miles a- apart. Yeah, which isn't exactly how I might have planned it, right. but you know, you 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 respond to these things as they come up. Yeah, well, that sounds like a, a great lineup of uh, of events coming up. But you know, uh, you probably have a lot more opportunities to set things up in between there. Do any of the other players in the band play in other bands also? Uh, they do. Um, it's a. Uh, I don't know if the specifically you know there's a few different things we've got uh, our our keyboard players named jim kurzan uh he and brett baxter our drummer used to uh, uh have played together over the years there was another uh long time chicago dead band called paradise weights that they both played in and uh and there are some offshoots of that um that do bob dylan stuff uh, jimmy our keyboard player really likes to do bob dylan so so he does a lot of dylan tunes with us um and i know that they've got a uh you know, I don't know. They, it's not a uh, an always regular thing, but there are shows that come up with those guys, and they do Dylan tributes. Um, Brett plays in a couple of different things. Um, Tyler uh, lives up north from here, and I know he's got a couple uh, different groups uh, that he plays with, uh, friends of his, and 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 other folks. Um, Judith, um, his uh, uh, she's got a show coming up at Space here in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, 
is a group called John Mead's True Believers, and they they kind of put on played uh, uh, sort of do a uh, tributosaurus type thing where they change become different bands at different times. One of the ones oh, that they wow. like to do is a is a Janis Joplin tribute, and whenever they do that, Judith is their is their Janis Joplin. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so so she's got that show coming up on June seventeenth at uh, at Space here in town. That sounds great. Do and people you know, do a lot of dancing. And I should I should say also our bass player Craig Urban uh, uh, he's he's a, a crazy working man at the moment he's got a band called One Hot Mess uh, that he plays in around town here and, and I know that they're doing you know, they have a lot of shows after Cubs games this year so he's he's a busy guy yeah yeah uh, you know we had Mr Blotto up here uh, a couple weeks ago uh, end yes, of May I saw that. that was a that was a fun show. But, uh, you know, I, I love this kind of stuff, the, this jam band kind of music. And, and it's so weird to call it jam band because I never thought about it like that. And now it's almost like derogatory in some circles. But, uh, you know, all that Almond Brothers stuff, that, that creating on the fly, that is the magic that, uh, that I love. And, you know, to start out with songs that are, are you know, don't... They start out with songs that are relatively complicated and then take that to the next level with improvisation. It just, you know, impresses me to no end. I just, uh, yep. you know, I, I really can't get enough of that. Uh, well, the, the, uh, uh, the Alma brothers and the, and the, you know, there's, I'm, I have lots and lots of influences over my life, but probably the two primary ones when I was growing up, once I got bit by the buck with this really were the dead and the Alma brothers. Cause I've always kind of considered them, the, the two sides of a coin. Yeah. You know, they, they, you know the, the Allen brothers are the Southern blues driven and the dead are this more Americana, uh, folk psychedelic rock driven, yeah. but they, but they, but they both are sort of searching for the sound. You know, they're both, they're both, you know, reaching out for something deeper and let themselves go out there to try and find it. Yeah. And that's I, a good I think way to that's why it. there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, overlap with those bands and why, you know, right. people like them both. Well, Jim, uh, I'm happy to talk with you. Jim Bilger from uh, Trouble Ahead. And Trouble Ahead's playing at the Acorn Theater on August 4th. Um, looking forward to seeing him come into town. And uh, Jim, thanks again. Thank you very much. This was, this was a lot of fun for me. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. It was a lot of fun for me, too. Looking forward to seeing you guys up there. Yeah, thanks. That was a lot of fun. To close out the show... I'm gonna play us a song from uh, one of their uh, uh, one of their live songs, one of Troubleheads live songs. And you've been listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. I'm John Goldman, and you've been listening to us on Radio Harbor Country. That's WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. And here we go to close out the show. Trouble Ahead playing the Grateful Dead's "The Music Never Stopped." Here it comes again 
Stop. 